Welcome to the Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Hello. Hello, Henrietta. And in this episode, we are tackling uh, fashion journalism. And the question is, whatever happened to fashion journalism? <laughs> That's blunt. It's a, it's a bit blunt. I'm sorry. We're feeling, um, it's the end of year. We're feeling <laughs> cut to the chase. And I, I'm surprised that we haven't dove into this as like a as a as a big topic in our in a discussion before. I know I've mentioned some things anecdotally or, you know, as an aside in our discussions, but I don't I'm surprised we haven't gone into this because this has been a thing for me for some time. Yeah, we touched on it briefly. Um we did a live podcast in London where we did talk about fashion journalism and imagery, but I think so much has happened since then that there's actually more to talk about. Well, for me, on the surface, Henrietta, and I think I said that here before, I have nowhere to turn for for fashion journalism. <laughs> you know, and historically, I've read the magazines, myriad, you know, myriad blogs, myriad publications online, and so forth, trusted authorities from around the globe who I've been reading all of these years. But cut to now, I, I got to tell you, when I want to digest some real content, one of, the, one of the only ones that I do that I think has some strong content is business of fashion. But that's, that's, a, specific, that's a specific thing. It's a more B2B content. Mm-hmm. And yes, while it speaks to the way that I think and approach this industry in many ways, that's a different kind of information. I, in the past, we had access to a wealth of criticism analysis, reviews and reveals, there was just a lot of content that we no longer see. Now everything is a, is a photo and a caption and we're done. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. It depends on what we're calling fashion journalism today. Okay, do you want to give a better, do you want to give a definition of this? Mm, no. <clears throat> Okay. I think it's evolved. So I think that there are way more platforms to read content, but there seem to be fewer platforms to read critical thought, actual journalism, like rigorous um, uh, insights. And then also, I think we just live in different times because with the digital age and social media, it goes back to that money in fashion. It's like, fashion journalism is impacted by things like clickbait and paid views and digital advertising which is all predicated on readership so you have to do the things to get the readership like I don't even know if you've noticed how certain headlines will be phrased you know like that I've noticed that there'll be people like a really bad and general example is Kim Kardashian or or a Kardashian or Jenna will be used in a headline and there's literally one minimal sentence. (laughs) But the headline, the headline is the... SEO and clickbait. So it's like, I do feel journalism is adapting to the times, which is make that money, get those advertisers and get those clicks by any means necessary. So it's really interesting that even when you allude to a platform like BOF, um... I would argue that even they're losing their rigor for almost those purposes. Um, So I don't, I'm just kind of wondering if it's just been swallowed up by the digital age and therefore like we lessen the importance of it. Well, journalism from fashion journalism from the beginning has always been um, inclusive of a community. 
you know, even since the 50s, like it was, it was, it had a more familial um, feel than other industries because of the, the smaller nature of it and lesser participants. So in terms of like um, that community, a close-knit community, that was always there. And over the years, we have seen even within a close-knit community that um, criticism was still there. You could still go to a show. And, and by the way, all, <laughs> by the way, uh, journalists, journalists have also been banned from that time as well. I mean, I know sometimes we speak about it, you know, as though it's something that has only taken place over the last 20 years where journalists will write a critical review of a show and is subsequently banned. Th- th- these things have taken place for, for decades since nearly the inception of fashion journalism. Um, however, journalists were able to still populate this industry and offer criticism and, and all of these sort of things for a long time. But as, to your point, as we move forward, that that uh, ability to, to continue that criticism and to really, really analyze your industry in a very objective way has shrunken and shrunken and shrunken. And I would, I would venture to say that it has happened more and more as we've gotten into this age, as the business has grown and this has gotten a lot more commercial and the brands have held a lot more power in terms of how they're editorially profiled and in, how, in, in terms of how they're seen in this industry. And let's be honest, I mean, from the, the the 80s, the 90s is really this all was cemented. From the 90s, this sort of um, this equation has run has ruled the industry, but cut to now, and we see that it has almost evaporated or it has almost shrunken the journalist's pool to such a point that it's almost non-existent right. because everyone was bought. And, you know, they, the, the pay-to-play was so significant that ultimately people, you didn't have to be a journalist anymore. You just had to, you might as well be a PR agent. And I think that diminished the ranks so greatly that now we're forced to ask the question like this, whatever happened to fashion journalism and to discuss it in a forum like yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember a time when uh, designers and brands would be nervous to read the reviews because you didn't know how it was going to be interpreted. There was a critique and a lens that was almost frightful because you know, you couldn't control that narrative. And to, I, I don't want to cut you off, I'm so sorry, but I just want to um, remind people of that image. You remember that image of, um, of what is his name, Unzipped? What? Isaac Mizrahi. Isaac Mizrahi, and, and, yeah. and the next day after that show and him nervously That's walking. That's what I was thinking in my mind. And he was like, I can't read reviews. I don't get, read reviews. And, okay. and now it's different because if, if you don't like a certain person's perspective, you can ban them from the shows but also you have different platforms. You're like, I'm just going to get this blogger. She has as much distribution and I can pay her to wear the clothes, endorse the product. And I could actually even, because it's pay to play, I can actually edit what has been said. I get a final approval. Um, So I think that definitely has changed. There's obviously famous examples of designers like Hedy Slimane banning journalists that he didn't like from the show. Now he can almost control the narrative just by virtue of advertising and sponsorship. But what's really interesting is there are, I mean, I don't want to discount what you're saying, but there are still a few objective voices in this industry. So for instance, Robin Gavan, who I talk about all the time because I, I love her. She Robin, may be the unicorn in this industry. The, she's the only one that I could really think of. Maybe a <laughs> Vanessa Friedman. Maybe, maybe a Vanessa ish. Friedman. But Robin Gavan is like the unicorn in this industry. Yeah, like Kathy Horn. 
Kathy Horn is an outlier now. You know, she she comes into play twice a year. Yeah. You know, that's not... Uh, but those are three that come to mind, but very specifically Robin Given. And so when two articles stand out where I was like, how is this even possible today? Where she wrote a review of um, Rodate and their um, exhibition that was linked to a show and other things. And that scathing Ralph Lauren review of like... Is he even relevant? Like, what is happening? Like, who is buying this lifestyle, this aesthetic? And I genuinely, my first thing was, how is she able to write this? And the the idea of But what's alarming is that you thought in that way. Right. The idea of objective critique just didn't even dawn on me. I was like, she's going to be banned from the show. <laughs> she's going to get fired. The Washington Post isn't going to get invited anywhere. They're not going to get sponsorship. It's going to impact the advertising. Other designers are going to start thinking she's going to be free to call them. I was, that was literally my thought process. Um, but this idea that you also can't really that multiple things can't be true, that you can't hold space for multiple things. Because she also subsequently went on to write about his 50th anniversary. She even featured in his recent documentary where she was both objectively fair and optimistic about the brand that he's built, but also spoke about how that's partially part of his demise. And I was like, oh yeah, there is space for both. Because we're also in an age where you write people off as like, okay, she doesn't like that brand, so that's done. So then right. that discourse kind of ends there and there's no accounting for the fact that there can be a better collection or that things change because that's very much how fashion journalism used to work. It used to be, this is now, that was then, this is the future, whereas now it's almost like there's a consistency to a point of view. Exactly. That's... That, you, that you're held accountable too, which is really interesting. And often, disin- and often disingenuous. Yeah. And okay, so you mentioned Robin Givhan as this unicorn figure in the industry. And I and I do agree with you. Uh, her criticism, never mind that it's so um, beautifully delivered, but it also, it has no, it has no parameters. She does not mince her words. She does not mince her words at all. Which is another all. thing, because now there are no negative reviews. There are just, at worst, they just describe the collection. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh no, that's been a that's been a strategy for for a long time. I mean, I think it's parodied in movies <laughs> to that extent. And I have mentioned this, and this has been incredibly disappointing to me. And maybe the audience doesn't necessarily agree that she was a figure of this of this level. But Susie Menkes, I have to tell you, I've mentioned it here, and Susie's. Um, profile devolving into fangirldom. It's so disappointing and offensive to me. I see her before, you know, before this era, I really saw her as an elder stateswoman of fashion, as a as a critic, as a talk about not mincing words. I mean, I would put her in a in a Robbie Gibhan vein of a woman who you could always expect to give you the real deal. However, in this age, I feel that she has been so cowed that she has been reduced to taking backstage laudatory shots from, you know, Dolce and & Gabbana and Versace and whatever else and 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 treating her captions like a, like a fangirl. I don't understand how a woman like that, uh, a highly respected woman, is reduced to such, um, to such banality. And <laughs> looking at the other spectrum, you know, Susie, Susie Bubbles also has also been mentioned in this, in this podcast. And I have to, I have to mention her again around this subject. You know, I saw her as uh, as a journalist of the future. I think she's a smart girl who has good analysis. And I saw her ascent happening. But then all of a sudden, I see her turning into like a brand endorser. That's 
all she's doing. And even more alarming is that it's seen now to be wrapped around like an ad for Chanel with, with, with false sense of criticism or this false sense of analysis, talking about Lesage, Lace, and giving a set, you know, using her journalism platform in a way, but marring the message in the way that she's speaking about those brands. And I think these kind of like mixed messaging that's coming from the journalists of the age is it's 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 alarming. And I think it is only gonna bode um disfavorably for the future because it's not a genuine objective position in the same way that we have spoken about Robin Gibhan. And maybe that's why this the subject stays on the top of brain, is that I I, I fear. I fear that, um, A, that there are none now and no, none to be minted for the future. Yeah, I mean, I mean, firstly, Robin Givan, I think, is in a class of her own, right? Listen, she's the only Pulitzer Prize winning fashion critic in our industry. Like, she's actually not to be fucked with or compared to. So I think that's, that's specific. I think Susie Bubble, I think that is quite unfair because she's not a journalist. Well, she is a journalist. I think if you ask her, she would say she is a journalist. Right, but she's not a journalist by trade. Like, she yes, writes she, for a publication. She writes for her own journal. But she blog. was so distinguished. She was distinguished in doing that and did it well for such a long time. But if you look at... She started at, out as a journalist. She started out as a journalist. And uh, the audience, if I'm wrong, please correct me out there because I've known Susie Bubble for a long time. We were on the same beat for a very, very, very long time. So I know her work and I know, I know her contribution. But if you look at the last year and a half, two years. And again, you know, people can redefine their titles and maybe that's what she has done. And maybe this is just my hopefulness for her, you know, for, for, for her future position. And she could have reinvented herself and say, no, I'm no longer playing that purist journalist role. And I'm now becoming a model slash, you know, blogger slash contributor, whatever the case may be. But I saw her in my eyes as a future journalist. Well, I always thought she was a, started out as a, as a blogger, <clears throat> is now an influencer and contributor um, which holds her to different standards because ultimately she, her industry is predicated on pay to play. So I don't think it's fair to hold her accountable to something that is more objective. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I wasn't aware she was a journalist. With Susie, though, I think, what is your critique of her? Because isn't her social media platform her personal point of view? I mean, does that bleed into the no, critiques that she writes for Vogue? She's Susie Menkes. Vogue or Condé Nast isn't her <laughs> isn't right. her handle actually says uh, you know her uh, uh, aligned to her brand like it's Susie Menkes Vogue I think it says so there's no there's no distinction between her personal identity and her professional affiliation. No, well, no. What I'm saying is is if she writes something for uh, one of the Vogue dot coms, if that is her fangirling. So one example is the Dolce and Gabbana article that she did write on Vogue.com and it was problematic because it there was some defense of their nonsense. <laughs> That's one thing. But I think if it's on her personal Instagram, I mean, obviously she's been a journalist for 30 plus years. So she's developed relationships. I think that's more of a personal. No, that's opinion, actually though. actually Henrietta. That's actually really weird because here you are trying to split hairs in terms of. I, ultimately, I don't think that really matters whether it's a personal or professional. Ultimately, she's seen as a figure who contributes to a certain industry in a particular way. And it, if you if you if you uh, broadcast something on your personal that sort of like is in direct contrast to what you may do on a professional platform, there's that's still problematic. So for you to try to put 
split hairs here. I mean, I don't understand why you would try to do that I'm, in terms no, of no, trying I'm not, to... I'm not splitting hairs, but basically, I mean, this is a super random example. But when I think about someone like Bill Maher, right? Bill Maher is friends with a bunch of politicians, Republicans, Democrats. He's in the space because he's had his show for 25 plus years. He's in politics, but he still presents his objective point of view on his show. So that's all I'm saying. Like, she's been in the industry for a while. So I'm wondering if there is any factoring in the difference in platform, like one's personal and one's professional. And I was just asking the question, do you feel like her fangirlness bleeds into her writing? Because that to me is where the problem lies. I don't, I kind of switched off to her, her fashion writing after a while because I felt like it just lacked. Well, 100%. I think it's, it's, it's part and parcel. I think it, you know, that her profile then becomes, it converges and she's seen as the same person that um, that is fangirling Dolce & Gabbana. And uh, and when, when, when her article comes out, I think it's in the same breath. I don't think there's any distinction. And I think to draw distinctions between that profile and this profile, a private and a public profile, I don't, I don't really think that, um, I don't think there's any real value to that because let's be honest, at least in recent years, I have not heard anything sort of um, off-colored from from uh, Susie uh, in her, say, private world. You know, I, everything seems to be very well packaged for um, for an e- economic, a smooth economic relationship is what I have seen. And I would say that that goes, that goes for a lot of what we're seeing in fashion now. I think that is, um, I think that is the pollutant uh, for, for a lot of, a lot of people who in another era would have been worthy uh, spokespeople or credible journalists in this in this business and I don't but, see but a hopeful saying, thing because in a different era you just wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been aware of what they were doing behind closed doors and what their position was behind closed doors because there was no medium to showcase that and so that's where the privacy thing comes into it of her behind the scenes is her Instagram that's her personal account versus what she's writing objectively for these platforms so like in the past we wouldn't have known that she was fangirling behind the scenes because there were have been no medium. No, but I, don't, I think it. what you fail to understand is that that, as you say, behind the scenes information that's that's no longer considered behind the scenes. That is that is upfront information now. So and it's, part of her professional and profile. part of her professional profile. That's the that's what that's the image I'm trying to um, to paint right now. And no, I, under- their, I understand. In I, their lives of problems, I understand. I only partially agree because I feel like we just have a window into that now. And so I think to force everyone to have a very cohesive professional and personal presence, I think sometimes that could be a bit problematic. Well, it's problematic it's problematic when you have something to lose and and if you if you say something positive about someone that ensures that your position is held. That's where the problem lies. And there are many, there are many, many examples. Um, there are many examples of that profile. And of course, in fashion, you know, to do your job as a journalist in many ways means that you have to be a consummate insider. And at one time, again, it was less problematic than it is now. Now you can be held to such stringent uh, output that you don't, that being an insider is, is almost the kiss of death for your profession. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, that's not... Actually, that's true. Because I do... I think actually the most... And this goes back to the idea of, of, of having real autonomy and independence to be able to tell the truth. So 
That, in a way, was what I was trying to say about Susie. She's so entrenched and ingrained in the industry that this is her life. These are her friends. Her friends like her family. So it's like that objectivity is is a bit is a bit marred and a bit murky. But yeah, I do believe that. I think in order to be truly objective, um, you have to be an outsider. But then that's also a bit strange because I guess you don't necessarily have all of the context. So like I I very much feel like an outsider in that perspective, but I definitely know that I've definitely spoken on things where it's like, mm, could I be looking at this differently because I don't have all of the context or because I wasn't there? So that's really interesting. And I think that's why Robin Given feels like such a unicorn because I'm like... She's I'm a consummate because- insider slash outsider. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, she is. She really, she really embodies that. She's a true insider because she can access um, whatever she wants. But she has really, her profile is very much on the outside. She just doesn't seem like she's <laughs> of that world. She doesn't. Fit, she doesn't seem like someone who like she lives in Washington. She doesn't seem like someone who just like is falling over herself to no be a part of this world. So I feel like part of her objectivity and just. Her whole persona is pretty gangster because she has her own thing going on. And, and in a way that someone like Susie, like, that is her world. That is her life. That is her personal life. That's her professional life. So it just, for me, breaking down those barriers, I could see how that could be challenging. Um, Arguably, then, you know, we're looking for more. We're looking for more Robins in this in this profession. I, as you said, she, she's... I think influencers, no I think influencers are the new editors and I think at best all we could do is hope that they're smart like the Leandras and the Susies and you know because I think I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that I've that always statement. Said I think that fashion editors are uh, influencers are the new fashion editors and fashion writers because I mean most fashion writers I don't know. Like, I just think that the times are changing. And I mean, on a really basic level, there's no money in it. So even when you are a fashion writer, you kind of have to become an influencer (laughs) to survive. (laughs) Like, I'm sure BOF is not, there's no aspiration to make six figures there. So do you know what I mean? It's like you have to buoy up your profession with sponsorship. And that therein lies part of the problem. Like therein lies a lot of the problems of our current age. Exactly. So it's, it's, definitely murky which is why I'm saying that influencers whether you are a journalist who's you know taking those pay trips or those endorsements or vice versa you know you start out as an influencer who's smart enough uh, to write and have critical thought on your own or an external platform I mean as it's all predicated on money I say that every episode but it's true and we handled money in one of our previous episodes so uh, that's understandable and that explains a lot um, Henrietta, I think we're definitely going to revisit this this issue. But I, this is where we call for our, the audience participation, though. You know, I I I really feel like I want some I want some input because my my experience with fashion journalism is longstanding. I've been a journalist myself, and I have been very intimately connected with the fashion journalism world over the last twenty years. But maybe my maybe I'm too close. Maybe my perspective is is from that from that you're, spot. You're not wrong, and and if. I don't I hope I didn't make you feel like that at any point. I just I think there are just many other variables that you're maybe too close to look at because ultimately, and part of why I say the thing about the influencers is because it's all cyclical, right? So there's not enough independent money in journalism. So one of two things are gonna happen. You either have to make money yourself and become an influencer or take do brand work, do sponsored work, brand consulting, join the brand side. 
or your publication in order to allow you to make enough money to have a livable wage has to take on investment from an entity that doesn't always allow you to be objective. And therefore you have to, you know, and just even the nature of investment is you're beholden to numbers that make you need to get the clickbait and, you know, the sponsored content and the branded thing. You either end up being with a platform that isn't objective and about real fashion critique, or you yourself have to take on brand work and sponsorship, which doesn't allow you to be fully objective and really take on fashion critique. So it's cyclical in a way. And that's a result of the digital age where people aren't buying magazines and buying newspapers in a way that allows you to be profitable, where you could be a Vogue editor or Vogue writer and you're making enough money to support a family of three. You know, so I think that all of those things um, are also a result of of the market. And I think all of this feeds into the demise of fashion. God. (laughs) And on that note, we will see you the next time. Time for something new. Uh, it's our time we're coming through.